I'd like to create an occasion for questions or comments about what you've been experiencing or how it's going directly over this last uh, period of time, day or so, if you've been with it for a day or so. Um, So much more to do with that. And secondly, perhaps wider ranging topics um, in terms of your Dhamma practice. But just to begin with, any comments or questions or requests for clarification, for example, over just what I've been trying to present and what you've been experiencing. Regarding the releasing mechanism you talk about, does the body just by itself somehow discharge these energies that give rise to sensations or feelings, like an electrical grounding or earthing wire does? As you describe it, it seems like there is nothing we have to do as the process goes on. Uh, Well, definitely stay tuned, hold the space, like being a a midwife or something like that, holding the space while the process continues, (laughs) with your notepad in hand, you know. (laughs) Like, what does this mean? Uh Uh-huh. And what what is it, the past? And how is it, just notice also... Uh, how it affects the quality of release. It's like a soft energy just sailing out. You know, there's a sense of something that's been constrained has been released. Something that was hot becomes cool. Something that was tight becomes open. Something evaporates. And really, how does that affect the psychologies? You know, a sense of uh, ownership, uh, control, uh, Anxiety, you know, uh, trust. Uh, what kind of enlightenment factors arise? Is there clarity? You know, what dumber factors are present there then at that time? You know, so you just—it's not being too theoretical about it. But who am I in the state of release? Put it that way. When there's release, how much of me, the normal, if there is such a thing? Um, normal me, personality package, how does that change? Who am I in release? What passes away? What's present? And uh, as you probably recognize, we, are, we become, you know, we're, we're many people, aren't we? We're many modalities of, of being. When we're authoritative or relaxed or nervous or happy or whatever. Um, and this is another modality the released, who is, who, how is that? What's my space? Um, what kind of, um, how do I map that experience? And you have things such as what's passed away, um, mistrust, uh, grief, um, something of this nature. Uh, what's present, sati, mindfulness, there's equanimity, there's um, joy, um, you know, so you just, uh uh-huh, that's that. You're mapping it, mapping it. Mm. However, whatever recognitions can occur, you know, whatever you recognize in that, Mm. that's how I put it. Because then it's also, the release generally is only for a fairly brief release of ego, then, you know, what helps us stop picking up stuff again because in a way every time we release we land a slightly different person you know 
little bit of the old stuff passes, so we become a slightly different person each time we release something. And that's how we grow. Okay, thank you. Question number two. I've come to see that I have years of unskillful actions. The sadness and regret over the consequence is a real burden. How can I work with this, please? This is uh, sure, sure is true for all of us. You know, we don't start out as arahants. Therefore, we make kinds of unskillful actions, probably just following impulses and mainstream persuasions and general carelessness and so forth. So, not entirely a, a unique personal problem, I assure you. <laughs> so, hmm. I think, first of all, you, you look and you try to uh, learn a few things, like oh, restraint would be good, and taking my time would be good, um, uh, considering things more wisely would be good, uh, not getting involved with these kind of people would be good, um, recognizing I need, you know, to, to look clearly at consequences, that would be good. So you get a reasonable, you should get a reasonable learning process and just recognize the Buddha himself said, oh, it's, it's considered a great gain in this training to recognize a fault. To recognize a fault is considered a great gain. Ah, you've seen something. Good, because now you make a, some kind of resolution to get support if you can't do it yourself, to, you know, to, to refrain from skillful actions. And then you've got to mop up the mess depending on whether you know you've offended or hurt other people then that's again another uh, topic sometimes that you can't even access them to say sorry but essentially the remedial process is to cultivate these qualities these heart qualities of um, compassion goodwill uh, and equanimity you know um, so this is experiencing that very tonality of regret which is often something accusative. It turns, it turns back. It nags. It it undercuts. And how do you feel that in your body? Okay, you're experiencing that. And how does that affect the heart? Now, just so we take away the particular scenario, you know, the events that cause one this uh, sense of regret, and it's it's you know it's appropriate. You've learned that one. Now you've got to mop up the mess, which is going to the very experience of regretting and the painfulness of that. I mean, what's needed here, everybody gets this, everybody messes up. Um, we've got to move on. And what's needed is something more uh, compassionate, kindly, and, uh, and less person-forming. This is the point of equanimity. You don't form a person out of that. It's just this is the nature of, of carelessness. Uh -huh. And carelessness is a sort of an agitated, um, blind, impulsive, mental action. Um, and there's a certain tonality with it, which is about hurry, quick, get it done, get on, have that, got to get there. And it's quite blind, uh, or you know. So, how is that? What what were, you, what were you searching for? What was it searching for? 
happiness, uh, fulfillment, uh, getting my own way, um, you know, telling somebody else what's wrong with them. Wow, look into that. What's needed here? Something more compassionate and embracing. So essentially the remedy is to get into the roots of the behavior of regret. So when I say behavior, I don't necessarily always mean external behavior, like speaking or acting or thinking even, but this heart behavior, the heart behavior, which accuses or regrets or go into that. What's needed here is something more uh, embracing. It's not saying you didn't do anything wrong. It's just that now we have to mop up the mess. Now we have to, you know, deal with the wave that's there, the ripple of regret. And what does that? It's compassion, not personal. So you you spread your awareness over that movement, that movement of heart, and uh, you're present with it in a sensitive and kindly way. That's what you do. Twofold, one deal with the external action, which you terminate, you make whatever amends you can, you learn something, you try to see how you how you fell into that, you look into ways to stop doing that, and then you search in your heart for where is the... Um, the response from this and it's you know some people find this in god you know somebody you know the savior or the somebody's going to give them forgiveness wherever you get it from but basically wherever it comes from and it's because it's sometimes it just seems to arise by itself it arises through the heart and is a quality of, of compassion that uh, comes over that You've got to widen your perspective because often with these discordant experiences they are very sharp and they're easy to see because they're really strongly configured. Uh, um, So it really sticks out. It's the bit that sticks. And we often find ourselves orienting around the bits that stick because they're the bits that stick up. You know, everything else is just in a sort of flowing along in a sort of porridgey, oh yeah, okay, fine, do this, do that. Then the bits of gritty stuff that stick up. <clears throat> and they're like, um, you, know, you know, like you've got a thorn in your thumb. What part of your body do you feel? Your little finger? Your toes? No, you feel your thumb because that's got, that's got the bit that's stuck in it. That's the acute feeling tone, right? So... Okay, so in fact, we kind of identify with our suffering. We're mostly addicted to our suffering because those are the bits that really give you a strong orientation, you know, (laughs) because they stick up so much. And you go back to them, nagging at them again and again and again. And you go back picking them over again and again and again. And you worry about them again and you try to figure out what kind of person you are and how again and again and again. So you, you put a lot, a lot of energy goes towards the places that suffer. And so it's often the case that people who live 
you know, not too bad at all, really. You know, to do a lot of good, uh, okay people. And yet they have a very bad perception themselves because what they notice about themselves is all the bits that suffer. <laughs> all the bits that stick, all the bits they're, they're disappointed by that they haven't been able to get over. <laughs> and they think, no, she's really pretty nice, good person, yeah, yeah. Oh, sometimes, yeah, but no, she's great. And the person themselves is feeling, oh, I'm so control freak, you know, obsessive, you know. Because you know, that's the bit they notice, that's the bit that sticks in them. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so, you know, when you have a lot of regrets over what you've done, it probably means you're a rather good person. <laughs> because the, the ones you've got to watch out for, the people who don't have any regrets over what they've done. <laughs> because <laughs> those are the dangerous ones. <laughs> Most of us should have some regrets. <laughs> people who don't have any regrets are the people who are just totally narcissistic or egocentric or something like or they're blameless of course which is very not that many people but you know so it's a sign of well this is good because clearly you have enough goodness sensitivity honesty to feel disappointed with some actions that you've done and feel disappointed about some scenarios you got stuck in well good yeah i mean not comfortable no but awakening never was comfortable okay here's some learning now what are you going to do with that Go to where you do feel a little more stronger and, and comfortable and balanced in your mind and bring that good energy to bear. Don't try to isolate the bad bits. Don't try to seal them off. Welcome them in. Embrace your craziness. Embrace your faults with a mind of, that does not resist um, and does not identify with these defects in the moral body. Moral body is just like a physical body, you know, where you notice the bits that you don't like very much. <laughs> the ears or the teeth or the something or the other. Those are the bits that you really see. The rest of it, pretty good actually. So keep, keep that sense of uh, equanimous, open to it all. The lovely, the weird and the horrible. Okay, how is everybody else? Question number three. In some of the body imaginings I'm trying to do at your request, I have a problem imagining the lumbar spine at the breastbone or such technical things. Can you help me with this language, please? I'm really not used to this, and it seems my spine might be in the wrong place. <laughs> well, don't imagine that your actual bones of your lumbar spine are joining your breastbone. It's slightly imaginative that your lumbar spine is kind of interested in forming a, a relationship with your breastbone, if you see what I mean. It's like sending out, oh, from here, this place in my lower back, I can kind of, what's happening up in the top, top zone, you know, it's sort of, you spread your awareness, one end of your awareness is on your lower spine, and you begin to reach your attention up to your breastbone, so you can have those two points, and there's, there's the attention, there's the breastbone, there's the lower spine. You orient between the two. Da, 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 da. And then just imagine that the lower spine is kind of interested in moving towards the lower, towards the breastbone. Because it helps your chest to open. Now if you work from, say, your um, immediately behind your breastbone, so you 
spine behind your breastbone and you, you incline that towards the heart, then you're going to feel rather squashed, I think. Between your shoulder blades, if you put your attention there and imagine that part of your body is moving towards your spine, it's a bit like being poked in the back, right? And you feel sort of slightly pushed in. So this, this lower spine acts like a spring. And if that rises, if that kind of is, is interested in rising, it has a certain buoyant effect on the entire rib cage. And it helps to relax the diaphragm. The sinews or whatever, diaphragm, as you know, is this rubber sheet, muscular sheet, rubbery, and it goes diagonally. The front of it is over the tummy, over the stomach area, and it, it runs through the body diagonally and tails off into the lower spine. So it runs from the front of the body, runs down into the back. So if we do that, it helps to lengthen and relax the, the diaphragm. Now if you're in that slightly upright position, it does help the abdomen to open. Yeah. Because, right, you know, if, you, if your lumbar spine is slightly pushed in and rising, it holds the abdomen really open. Um, and you don't want to push it, but just the opening of the belly, very helpful for breath meditation, because this area body then is much more freed up than when if your chest, by accident, is resting on your belly. Yeah? So it frees up the abdomen, very nice, because your breath really go, goes in there and fills and that area, which is associated with tension, you know, the belly. You're taking tension out of it. You can't feel tense if you're like that. So it's, it's helpful. Mm. Number four. Your guidance allows me to access a deeper level of sensitivity. Thank you. You talked about the Buddha's words on evil ministers. I see I have a lot of ill will to some people in the world today. How can I hold a balance about good-heartedness and recognition of certain behaviors and acts. And please, is it true that some things were labeled as evil in those days? Well, the word papa, papa is the Pali word which is translated as evil. I doesn't quite got the same sort of satanic um, overtones, but that's the English word that they've used to translate papa. Um, and I think the actual phrase that's used is uh, I don't think it's actually evil, it's something like a, a corrupted misguided um, uh, you know not in line with truth, something like that I can't. Uh, the quote's somewhere but I don't have it in my head, but basically it means bad, bad people at the top corrupt, selfish, reckless um, so forth, you know when they're in a position of considerable authority then the Buddha is saying, if you're not living up to that, then you have the possibility to, to distort the entire social fabric, and that has a very powerful effect. So it's no longer just your misfortune you're um, creating, but the misfortune of many others. Therefore, this is extremely bad, negative effects. So how do you manifest the mind of goodwill? Well, I think it's very important to manifest a, a mind of goodwill because getting 
fed up and soured and embittered and resentful um, doesn't feel very good and just doesn't seem to do that much harm either. <laughs> it doesn't seem to change things very much. So it really means that not letting the evil, for want of a better word, stupidity of others um, becoming something that, that you take in and sours your heart. So it's essentially maintaining this quality of a mind that's not that's non-averse. It doesn't pick up the sign of hatred, venom, revenge. Now, what does it do? So if that's, we say, you, you, you finish your own business, like, okay, well, that's your issue. Um, you know, I'm not taking that in. I'm, I want to do good. And you bring forth what good you can. Now, some of what good you could do would be, of course, um, maintaining you know, peaceful or protest against such people, um, refusing to cooperate with such people. Uh, you know, so there can be certainly a sense of social dissent. We just say, no, this is just, um, uh, you know, I'm not bothering whether I like you or dislike you. This is just not an action that I, I'm going to support. Um, uh, and I, that I need to feel I can say that. I do not support this action. I don't support this, this particular um, direction that the person in power is going in. I think that's very important. And particularly if you don't have ill will, it's not that I particularly hate you. It's just um, I'm not going into that area of what I feel about you personally. That's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with particular actions that you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so because, you know, an action doesn't care whether you like it or not. <laughs> It's just an action. <laughs> so you say, well, you need to stand your ground where it becomes more uh, kindly or equanimous. And also, certainly in terms of social dissent, um, I think the more that the quality of your own calm and goodwill and, and forthrightness can be that which encourages others to to say, oh yeah, she's not some kind of flaming, uptight anarchist <laughs> with, you know, ranting and raving. She's just a really sensible, good-natured person. Yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll be with her. You know, you get proper support for your dissent. I think that's very important to, to cultivate at this time. Well, you see, there's a lot of dissent, you know, people getting placards and this tear gas being chucked around. It's pretty every day you see it somewhere or the other. And, and who knows how we can affect change but I think that's that's a little bit further but you, you say well at least for my own self-respect I do feel I have said what I wanted to say and, and, and you know made my stand on that Question 5 I often find myself wanting to meet aggression with aggression when I don't do that I feel weak and ineffectual, and compassion just doesn't come. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Yeah, well, um, uh, aggression and weakness are actually two sides of the same thing. Aggressive people are weak. Uh, the sign of aggression is uh, a, a lack of inner strength. Uh, so we're kind of lashing out. Uh, because one can't, the system doesn't have the ability to 
to be stable and intact and man- and uh, uh, receive discordant impressions without getting jangled and thrown around by it all. Mm-hmm. So sometimes this kind of plays out where I think in whatever the you know the kind of psychologies are, you know people always encouraged to be aggressive but impotent, so eventually they just give up. Yeah. Whereas what's more important is to maintain strength. And strength is different from aggression. Aggression is always over-energizing in unproductive ways, in unfruitful ways. So, okay, what is aggression based upon? Uh, wish to push away that which we dislike, that which we find morally reprehensible, that which is and is morally reprehensible, you know, it's not just a you know, we wish to push that away and quickly push it away. Um, how do you stand in the presence of that which you find morally or psychologically or whatever disagreeable, reprehensible, blameworthy? Um, that takes strength. And for this you come into your full body and particularly aggression generally comes up into the upper body, particularly down into your legs and feet. It's quite good to do some walking meditation. So that that sense of that which is annoying, you get a chance to not act upon the experience of being negatively impacted. And you release the tension. Aggression comes from a certain tense state. Tension is often released through movement. And then there's the possibility for the energies to reconstellate around something firm and uh, grounding. And then whatever action one can do from that place. The feeling of weak is because aggression just blows energy out and then you've lost it all. So there's a sense of feeling deflated. You've just got angry, shaking your fist at the television set, whatever it is, how dare they, who do you think he is, this kind of thing. And you just blow a load of energy out into, out into nowhere. <laughs> and so that you're kind of depleted because nothing's, you know. The idea is you should always keep your energy circulated. And so it's, you don't lose it, you, you're, you're circulating it through your chitta and your body. And you're circulating both, um, so that, that builds up strength. That builds up strength. The strength of a Buddha. <laughs> and it, they likened it to, said like a bull with the horns cut off. So it's like really strong, but it's not going to, so you don't push it around, it's just really resistant and it knows where it is. Question 6. I noticed yesterday I had a real tendency towards drowsiness as I tried to embody and deactivate. Normally I'm used to using the breath more, at times with Buddha. Yeah, that certainly is an obstacle or a problem with deactivating, you know, because it's like you unplug and your energy goes flat. So that's why the, the kind of deactivating is something to practice a little at a time 
And what we're doing to compensate for it is giving more activation to the posture of the body. You know, this is why we were sort of saying earlier, you know, the spine, lumbar spine rising towards the chest, uh, doing a good amount of anchoring into the body posture, the hands. You hold that particular, particular hand mudra with the palms open, the fingers lightly touched. Uh, the sense of touch itself is not drowsy. And you find if you do get drowsy, you'll almost certainly your hands will slip and your body will slump a little bit. And also the eyes can be open and you can, as you, as you mentioned, use a mantra, buddho, with the breathing. So all these things give the mind something a little more tangible to, to hang on to when the energies are getting reset. But ideally, we want to reset the energy into this rather more expanded, open state and using the body almost to, to pin, like a, you know, pin it open. Because generally, by and large, energy is running through a very limited amount of the body, from the mouth, the eyes, the hands, and it's, it's also running on on uh, particular programs such as get things done, force, um, enjoy, get excited. It's running through a very limited um, wavelength to high frequency, yeah, high frequency, force, get it done, get on, enjoy that and also limited areas of the body, limited areas of awareness. So now we're changing the domain which energy runs through, the soft tissues of the arms, front of the chest, you know, so the whole body becomes opened up, and you're starting to operate not in terms of that high frequency, you know, excited, get things done stuff, but something much more like receptive. This is, this is quite a major transformation, you know, but it's a necessary transformation. Um, as we've been touching on quite a lot of our, our uh, programming is in terms of force, um, you know, war, forceful nations, aggressive behavior, uh, competitive business practices, even, you know, aggressive sports. <laughs> You know, he's really, he's really good footballer. He's really aggressive and his attack was really physically, you know. They're hungry. They're aggressive. They're good. That's good, you know. <laughs> so that particular energy gets the headlines. And of course, such people, they've got to deal with that. The high degree of testosterone, they're rallying to, to perform their duties or their, their, whatever their profession is. And could you be something without feeling weak? An insipid, but a bright energy that spans the entire form. That's 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 what we're moving towards, slowly. And you use the body as a kind of a like handhold, you know. To okay, while well, this is happening, and one will go into slightly more drowsy states or states where your thinking mind goes sort of disconnected. Uh, so keeping your awareness in these areas in your body using a mental recitation, buddho, counting breaths, that helps. Okay, someone else, I'll move on. Increasingly I find I am neither interested nor not interested in many events around me, the coming birth of my grandchild, and feel not much energy towards these. What is your advice, please? Um, yeah. 
Well, it could be a number of things. Um, I mean, something called nibida, which means something like disenchanted or not fascinated, is um, something that occurs and is considered good, you know, <laughs> in that one is, isn't so uh, mesmerized by, you know, the arisings of new things, knowing that what arises passes and it becomes established. Um, that um, the heart at times turns towards its own healing and strengthening and finds other topics are not what it's interested in. And it's not so much, it's not aversion, it's just that the heart has its own logic to it, its own uh, rationale, its own program. And something we can't, as, as personalities, our personalities arise from the heart, but our personalities are not in charge of it. And so this can, the personality sometimes is not in charge of what the citta is doing. And the citta senses uh, the possibility for healing, senses the possibility for strengthening, senses the possibility for awakening, and it starts to move towards it. And other, other experiences are just, okay, that's all right, but I'm not really on, on fire with that. And that, that's something that occurs. It's not so, you can't make it happen, but by, certainly by reviewing over a lifetime all the comings and goings that one's been through, you do acquire a certain amount of, well, you know, so what? <laughs> about it <laughs> yeah about lots of things actually yeah <laughs> about lots of things mm. uh, but then uh, it's not just to feel bored and fed up uh, but to, to really well what are you what are you interested in what does light your fire what is worthwhile and that is important to since there is something worthwhile it could be your own clarity, your integrity. What, what is worthwhile? What is spaciousness? Uh, not having burdens. Uh, absence of fear and contraction. It could be things that are not here. That you just. I want to experience that freedom from having to be obliged to. to get excited about things, you know. I want to experience that just sense of, that's fine, I just, you know, I want to get out of the obligation. Uh, I'm not interested in that anymore. Uh, and so the, these, uh, uh, this, this sense of nipida um, is to be understood and reviewed. Equanimity can be there, um, uh, it's it's um, these terms equanimity, disenchantment, dispassion. They are similar. The equanimity refers to the heart tone. Nibida refers to the, the objects. So I'm no longer interested in watching television or something or the other, or going out to a party. Mind recoils from that. So nibida is that sense in relationship 
with particular phenomena. Equanimity is the heart tone, and dispassion is the realization of the release of the chitta from passion. So they're all kind of interwoven. Mm. Okay, so let's uh, return to direct practice. Oh yeah.